Father, I praise your name for this just awesome congregation, God. And Lord, you are so gracious to us, Father, to give us the freedom, Lord. Man, Lord, even to just meet, Lord, there's so many countries that don't have that freedom. But Lord, we're putting this out over the old interwebs, God, and, and no one's complaining. So God, I praise you for every opportunity we get to just share your word, Lord, to, to talk about you, Jesus, and, to, and to, to make you famous, God, to let people know who you are and what you've done. And so, God, as we continue today through this gospel of Matthew, God, as we continue and look at, Lord, to me, really the whole point, Lord, and not just the point of this gospel, Lord, the point of the whole Bible, Father, the thread of redemption that's running all the way through from Genesis, Lord God, all the way through. And, Lord, here we see the culmination of it, Lord God, you going on to the cross. And so, Lord, as we... Uh, examine that, Lord, and as we continue on through the rest of this month, uh, Lord God, examining your resurrection, Lord God, which just proved everything you said, and all of the stuff involved in it, God, would you soften our hearts, Lord? Would you help us not to just hear the words and say, yes, I've heard this story a million times, and walk away from it, God, but would you give us a heart, Lord, to look into your eyes and to see the things that you went through for us? God, would you help us, Lord, to see maybe, just maybe, Lord, how we're kind of like the Roman soldiers sometimes, or maybe how we're like the religious leaders. God, how we're all like the robbers on the cross. And God, the intimacy that you want to share with us through, and, and just like you did, God, with our brother, Lord, who, Simon, who carried the cross with you for a, for a spell. God, would you be with us as we dig in, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So you guys, you remember two weeks ago, we were here and we were talking about, we were kind of ending up right through uh, kind of the back and forth of Jesus. So we had looked at the fact that he got sent all over the place, right? He started out, you know, in the night, illegal trial, and then he went from there to Pilate. Pilate's like, you know, who are you? He's like, I'm the king of the Jews. He's like, okay, yeah, you're crazy, but okay, whatever, like. If you say you are, cool, you're not causing me any problem. And so he's like, this is a Jewish problem, so let's send it over to Herod. And Herod was like, you know, do a trick for me. Pull the rabbit out of the hat, right? And was just treating him like a jester. And Jesus just sat there and didn't say a word. And so then they started making fun of him and mocking him and put a big purple robe on him and sent him back to Pilate. And Pilate, of course, thought that was hilarious. And it said that the Bible tells us that from that day on, Pilate and Herod were friends. Because he was like, good dig, right? Whoa burned. Pilate's like, this guy's innocent. I don't want to see him suffer something that he doesn't deserve. And Pilate, we looked at the fact, wasn't a nice man. We have that from history. We have that from outside sources that tell us that Pilate killed a lot of people without a trial. He did not really care about humanity. And so the fact that he even was kind of like, there's something about this guy shows that something was different about Jesus in multiple ways. And so here we are, and at the end of this, you guys remember, he said the Bar he pulled out Barabbas, like the worst of the worst, a, a convicted murderer, a convicted terrorist, right? A terrorist. I mean, he went around and caused terror in Jerusalem. And so he was sent and convicted and, and sent to be, you know, go and be crucified and be killed. And so he brought out the worst of all the prisoners, Barabbas, and he brought out Jesus next to him. And he's like, which one do you want? And they all yelled Barabbas. They chose the murderer. And then we saw, and we kind of ended on this, and this is why I'm making 
this point here. Verse 26, it says, then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Matthew does this throughout his gospel. And I don't know if you all saw The Chosen. Any of you guys saw The Chosen, but it's hard to read Matthew and not see this kind of like slightly autistic guy who's good with numbers, you know, anymore. It's kind of like different for me. And so I don't know, like I'm I'm not trying to, you know, bring the two together and say that that's absolute truth. But what I am getting at is we do know through Matthew's gospel that he makes these big, huge statements in one verse. And he's like, "Mm -hmm, yeah, and that happened. And let's move on. He was scourged, you guys. We got to like stop for a second and let that sink in. And we just kind of passed over it last week because we were running out of time. But the reality is, this scourging was like whipping on steroids. Think of what we have watched in Amistad or any of the movies about slavery and seeing those whippings, which were horrific. And people died from it. And then add a lot. Because this whip that they were whipping with had animal teeth connected to the ends. It had sharp pieces of bone, sharp pieces of metal, all attached to a bunch of different straps and it had a wooden handle on the end. And it was very short, so it was very close work. You got blood all over you when you were using it, right? You guys, this wasn't meant to be a sting. It wasn't just meant to be a sting. And I'm, again, hear me on this. I'm not minimizing the whippings that happened in slavery in the South and in everywhere. I'm not minimizing that. That is horrific, just horrific. Any type of torture like that to a human being is wrong, right? I'm not, I'm not minimizing any of it. But listen, here was the point of all this. If there was one thing the Romans did well, it was, it was punish, right? The Pax Romana was not a peace, the peace of Rome. No, the peace was we will squash you like a bug if you get out of line, right? That was the Pax Romana. And so here, this whole point was not just meant to be a sting on their back when it got laid across their back. No, it was meant to come in, stick in the skin, and tear it, tear it away. Rip the flesh away. That was what it was meant to do, and that's exactly what it did, you guys. This was brutal. The brutality, I don't think, has been matched. I think Rome kind of set the bar pretty darn high. And the fact is, this was done again and again and again to Jesus. You guys, there's, you know, I like to try to clear up some rumors. There's this thing in the Jewish culture that said you got 39 lashes because they would condemn you to 40 and you would get 39 and they would give you one for grace, right? That was kind of the whole concept. So some people have said Jesus got 39 lashes. We don't know how many lashes Jesus got. Matthew doesn't tell us. None of the gospels tell us. We have no idea. And we also don't really have anything from history that says that Rome had any rule. No, they just beat you until they were tired, typically. Which is why we see that most people didn't survive this because they didn't have any flesh left. You guys, the reality is, is Jesus was beaten beyond recognition. His back and sides were turned into hamburger meat. That was pretty much where, where we left Jesus at the end of the last two weeks. That's where he was at. And so I don't want to minimize what we had just read, even though Matthew gives us one verse about it. But let's continue on and keep reading here. Verse 27 says this. Then the soldiers of the, of the, the, soldiers of the governor, right, Pilate, took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. 
I want to stop there. The Praetorium, you guys, was this really large courtyard. We have archaeological evidence of what this looked like. It was big. It was a really big space. Do you know how big? Well, it was capable of holding a huge number of people. How do we know that? Do you guys know what a garrison is? A garrison, you guys, was 600 soldiers. 600 soldiers was a garrison. So when it says here, again, the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the Praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him, it meant that there were 600 men, well-trained, hardcore Roman soldiers standing with Jesus in the middle, just got done getting his life beaten out of him. And here he is, he's standing there, you guys, beaten, bloodied, surrounded by these 600 well-trained soldiers. I want you to, to stop for a minute. Today, my plan is and my hope is for you guys is to close your eyes and think about that. How terrifying. How terrifying for anyone but Jesus. Was I, do I believe that Jesus had human emotions? Absolutely. We know he did, right? We know he did. There was a reason he was in the garden being like, oh God, if there's any way that we can do this differently, please. But your will be done, not mine, right? And so he definitely had emotion here, but can I just say something? There's not one thing at any moment Jesus could have been like, this is done, Like, do you know who I am? He told Peter that, didn't he? When Peter hacked off the ear of the Jewish guy and he was like, Pete, put your sword away. You don't know that I could have 72,000 angels right now here to take care of this? Right? Like, there's Jesus had no problem. This he wasn't here being like, oh no, woe is me. No, dude. He was there because he chose to be there, you guys. But I want us to get our head around this fact that here are these Roman soldiers that are bigger and badder than everyone else. And why? Well, because number one, they're more well-trained. Number two, they have more armor and more stuff than all the other people do. And number three, they have weapons that could slice you to bits in two seconds. And also number four, they just thought they were cool. They thought they were big and bad. And the fact is, is that in the midst of this group of bullies stood the son of God, the all-powerful son of God. So they must have felt like, man, this guy, what a weakling, what a punk. (laughs) Who they stood around could have annihilated them with the word of his mouth. Willingly standing there, being crushed, willingly under the perceived authority of the Romans. Why, you guys? Just to make a way for us to create a way for us to come to God, to walk in the freedom of grace. You guys, he did all this for us. If you're here today and you have not accepted the work that Jesus did, he is not just a good man. He didn't just go to his death being a good guy. If that's all he did, then it was worthless. He was either the son of God like he said he was or he isn't. And you've got to figure that out. Let's keep reading verse 28. It says, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying, hail king of the Jews. And then they sped on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. These 600 men, they, they basically turned him into a little Ken doll and dressed him up. That's very manly. I'm mocking them right now. (laughs) 
You guys, they took off all his clothes. Did he have his, you know, I'm not, whatever. Was he naked? Did he have his little bottom part on? I don't know. Does it really matter? Imagine getting clothes taken off of maybe what was just starting to scab. The, this, the agony of getting your clothes taken off. And I'm sure they weren't like, oh, let's, let's help you out. No, I'm sure they just tore it off. And then they put this scarlet robe on him. You guys, this was probably closer to this scarlet scarf that was worn by superior Roman officers, right? So this was probably, uh, some scholars believe, and I think this is a little tenuous, but that they believe that basically it was probably one of Pilate's old scarves that had worn out that was just kind of laying around that they grabbed. How do we know that? We don't. (laughs) We have no idea what it was, but it was probably something closer to that, right? This wasn't the purple robe that had been put put on him by Herod. This wasn't this beautiful, beautiful robe. This was something that was meant to look very stately and royal, but not be royal at all and be tore up, right? I mean, think about it. They're not going to just lay that over the bloody back of Jesus. And so they laid this worn out scarlet scarf over Jesus and they mocked him and they got down and they're like, oh, king of the Jews, you're the king of the Jews. And they gave him a reed. They gave him a reed in his right hand. And we all know that. You guys have seen sarcophagi, right? Over in Egypt. And what do they have? They have those two things. You know what I'm talking about? The one in the right hand was the, the, the rod of power, right? It, it represented power. The right hand was the hand of power. I'm sorry, left-handers. That's just how it goes. They pushed a crown of thorns over his head. This is, uh, we do know what this plant was. And I want to show you guys a picture. It's called Euphorbia mili. That's not a joke. Those thorns can grow an inch, inch and a half. They got some pretty red flowers, but most of what that plant is, is the thorns. And so they wrapped all that up and they shoved it over his head. And again, just like I guarantee they took his robe off violently, I'm sure that wasn't like, oh, this is going to hurt. No, this was just... jam it over his head. And I'm sure they didn't hurt themselves in the process. They were probably using sticks or something else to get it on his head and jam it down on. And I want to make a comment about this, you guys. That didn't come off of him ever. That stayed on his body. We don't read anywhere in scripture that they pulled that back off. Just an extra layer of pain. It was meant to mock him. And what else did they do, you guys? After they did all that, they sped on him. And they took the reed that was in his hand and they whacked him on the head with it. Was that a one-time thing or a 600-time thing? I have no idea. I have no idea. But we all know getting hit in the head doesn't feel very good, does it? You guys, stop for a minute and take in what Jesus went through for us. So here we are. They get done with that. They put his own clothes back on him, which again, I'm sure was very painful. And they led him away to be crucified. Let's keep reading. Verse 32. It says, now as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. By the word compelled there, read this. You're going to do what we tell you, buddy. (laughs) Right? There was not a choice. says in verse 33, and when they had come to a place called Golgotha, this is to say the place of the skull, 
They gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink, or myrrh is another way of, some of your translations might say myrrh. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink it. So you guys, here's Jesus getting led away. He is carrying his cross. His body, you guys, was already at a point that it was failing him. How do we know that? Because he couldn't carry his own cross, right? His body was giving out. Can you blame the guy? Most likely, and I'm going to clear up another little thing that I believe. I believe he's carrying the patibulum. The patibulum, you guys, is that cross part. The cross member is called the patibulum, right? The other part, just for your information, is called the stele. And that's the long part. So here's the thing. And this is why I think this, you guys. The patibulum itself would have been the part that was obviously attached to his wrists and it would have been tied to their wrists and worn across the back as as they carried it, right? They wouldn't have nailed it to him until he got, you know, completed, until the cross was built. And so essentially they were carrying this thing. These have been found. The average weight of these patibulums were 75 to 125 pounds. Why do I think he was not carrying everything? The whole thing, the whole cross put together was well over 250 pounds. None of us could carry that in good condition, let alone in his condition. Do you understand? So it's like some people make these issues out of this. Nothing against Catholic Church, but if you go to Jerusalem, you'll see them and they're carrying these tiny little thin two by four crosses. Cool, man, whatever, do your thing. But my point is, is they will argue with you and say like, oh, he's carried the whole cross. He carried the cross. Maybe he did. I have no idea, but it just seems to make a lot of sense to me and we have some archaeological evidence to back it up, that the cross was built at the place, right? Because guess what's going to happen if these guys die on the way? Now these Roman soldiers have a whole cross that's huge and heavy laying in the middle of a road that they've got to get up to the place. Do you get my point? So here he is, and he's carrying it, and they realize, like, man, he's not making it. He's just not going to make it. It was a heavy piece of wood. And so he's carrying this. And this was the smallest of the two pieces, but the reality is, and I need us to understand this when we get to the part with Simon. Think about what Simon did whenever he started to help him carry. This wasn't something that he's going to be like, all right, man, let's go. You got one end and I got another. No, Jesus was attached to this thing. It was across his back. Simon had to get his face in Jesus's face. Jesus's face was bloody. He, who knows if Simon didn't get his, the thorns jabbing in his own head as he's trying to help hold this up. And hold Jesus up and get him here. Imagine the amount of blood that was being put on his clean clothes. The amount of blood, the amount of just disgustingness that was just being transferred over just because this man had been beaten so harshly. I need us to hear this, you guys. I'm not trying to just be gross for being gross's sake, but the reality is, you guys, this Vertical part was waiting for them when they got up there, but he helped him carry this the whole way up. And who's this Simon guy? Well, we know this. Cyrene was a city in North Africa, so Simon was a guy far from home. Who knows what he was doing in in Jerusalem at the time? Who knows why he was there, right? But here he is, and he's in the city. We know he has two kids. We're told that, right? We're told he had two children in Mark 15, 21. So these two kids... And this guy, Simon, and the Romans look and said, you, get over here. I need you to help this guy. You're not going to be like, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> no, you, get, you just do it. You don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. And so here he was, going up, going about his business, obviously 
probably not expecting to be tasked that day with taking some guy to his death. And I want us to think about the amount of blood and sweat and the smells and, and, the, and just the feelings of, of the hard wood and the heaviness of the wood and trying to keep this guy Jesus up to as they're walking together and, and, and the thorns in his head that, that were probably jabbing into his own head as he was just getting, having to get close to hold all this up. I got to ask a question, you guys. What impact do you think that moment had on him? What do you think he said when he went back to his kids? And they're like, Dad, where'd all the blood come from? Well, who was that guy? The one thing I know you couldn't, he couldn't say is that, nah, it doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. He couldn't say that all that blood was nothing. Imagine Simon thinking back to the times that he met Jesus' eye as he was carrying it and just looking over and saying, like, what's going on, man? What'd you do? How did you get here? Imagine what that was like. Imagine Simon trying to reconcile even just the crown of thorns, let alone the beating that he took. Because he's like, wait, hold on. This is way worse than what you did to other people. Like, what's the crown of thorns about? Like, what's this extra for? Do you really hate this guy that much? What did he do? You guys, I don't know about you. I think Simon had something special that only he got to experience. That space of time where he was carrying his savior up. You guys, there's a guy named Simon in the book of Acts and there's a lot of scholars that believe it was this guy. We don't know. But wouldn't it be cool to get to heaven and be like, dang. He walked him step by step forward, even though Jesus was racked with pain. When they got near the top, did Jesus look at him and give him a little smile? Like, thanks. I don't know. Verse 35. says, then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them and for my clothes, they cast lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. So what they did is they put Jesus on the cross and they, they laid him down. He was already tied. They, they, right, they take the ropes off. They nailed him to the cross. They nailed him. And then they had laid him down on the stipe. I think I said stipe before, right? That's the other part. And so they laid him down on that. Who knows if that was nailed together? I don't know exactly how all that works. We've got some archaeological evidence of different types, but specifically on this one, we know that there was a top piece. Sometimes it was more like a T, but the reason we know there was a top piece is because he had a sign hanging above his head, right? And so the reality is, is that here he is, he gets that done. He's nailed to the cross. They nail his hands. They nail his feet. They strip him naked. Again, was he completely naked or did he have his bottom piece? I have no idea. Does it really matter? Your back is hamburger meat and you're laid against a thing. I don't think you really care if you've got any clothes on or not at that point. The pain is overwhelming, I'm sure. And what do they do with his clothes, you guys? They played a game. And this was most likely the very nicest thing that Jesus owned was his robe. The one thing that he had that was kind of his. And they, they played, they cast lots for it. They gambled for it. And so that little 
thing that you see there, that prophecy was in Psalm 22, 18 for you note takers. And I need you to get your head around this. This was something that was written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was even alive, you guys. Can you see the thread that God has written through the scripture from Genesis all the way through? There's no way of denying it. And there he was, a spectacle, a stripped and bloodied spectacle, hanging on the cross, even though he had done nothing to deserve it. Verse 37 says, and they put up over his head the accusation written against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. They hung a sign above his head and told everybody this is why he's being punished, because he says he's the king of the Jews. And I got to say this, you guys, not once did he deny it, did he? Never once. Are you the king of the Jews? It is as you say. Right? He didn't deny it, you guys. He is not just the king of the Jews. He's our king too. He's the king of humanity. He's the son of God. They minimized him with that sign. And he could have gotten off of the cross and he could have done a thousand things. Guys, I do not doubt his all powerfulness at any given moment. He willingly laid that down because he loves us more. Hear that, you guys. If you're here today and you're like, I'm a scummy whatever, or I'm a loser, or I'm a this, or I'm a that. We all feel those things from time to time. Some people more than others. Hear me. Jesus loves you. And Jesus cannot love you more today than he ever has in the past or in the future. You are fully and 100% completely loved. Hear that. And if you don't get that, look at this. He died for you. Verse 38 says, then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and another on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads. In other words, shaking their heads, right? And saying, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and the elders said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. If he's the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver, let him, deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. You guys, everybody around Jesus was mocking Jesus. So here's Jesus in pain that I don't think any of us can really get our heads around. We can't imagine the pain that he was in. All the passers-by, and I want us to think about this. What was happening right now? Passover. What just happened a few days prior to this? Palm Sunday. Hallelujah! The Messiah is here. Woo! Kick Rome's butt. Get him out of here. You're it, man. We dig it, Jesus. Let's do this. Now they're like, you're an idiot. Look at you. Loser. Wondering maybe these passerbys wondering like, what the heck were we so excited about? Not taking the time to stop for just a second and realize, man, you're the one that missed it, not him. And that's a hard challenge I give to people all the time whenever they're like, oh, no, I've got this. God, nope, I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to get, how are you going to get to heaven? Well, because I'm a good person. No, you're not, actually. The Bible says no one's good. And by the way, I can prove that you're not good. 
right? Because none of us are good. If you're perfect, then we should be worshiping you. And if you really think we should worship you, then we need to go see a counselor for you, (laughs) right? The fact is, you guys, is here was Jesus up on this cross, enduring everything, Enduring all of it, enduring the pain, enduring the heartache, enduring all of it, hearing the same people that were yelling just earlier, wow, Jesus, you rock, man. You're the best. We got this, Jesus. Like, you're awesome. Just a few days later, they're the ones that are like, what? What are you doing? What a loser. And then we see this, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And I want you to see something. And if if you're underliners in the Bible, I underline this in mine and it, when it talks about this idea of he saved himself, but he cannot save himself, right? He saved others himself, he cannot save. And then he says, if he is the king of Israel in verse 42, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. And can I just say something, you guys? And yes, we have the benefit of hindsight. So I never want to like look back and say, man, these guys, how did they not see it? But I want us to take a moment and think about this. These are the religious leaders, you guys. These are the people that should have known. Do you know what the most hurtful thing to an atheist is? There's a, there's a quote that I heard before that says the worst thing for an atheist is a Christian that says they're a Christian and then doesn't know or believe anything that they actually say they believe. That doesn't act on it. Here are the religious leaders that should have known the word. They should have known the scripture in Psalm that talked about the dividing of garments. That should have been a clue to them. They should have known the entire book of Isaiah. They memorized all these books, you guys. They should have read it and been like, that's him. He's doing exactly what he's supposed to do. Don't come off the cross, Jesus. Stay up there. I need you to stay up there. That's what they should have been saying, but instead, they're mocking him. You guys, it breaks my heart. Christians, it breaks my heart when I hear us say things that go against God's word. Because the reality is, is we should know this. This is the most important book on the entire earth. And I'm not acting like I've got it all figured out and you don't know. I'm, I'm growing and I'm learning. How do we learn? We get in it every day and we read more and more and more and more and more. Yeah. Until the day I die, until my eyes go out. And when my eyes go out, somebody's reading this thing to me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's how we grow. Amen. That's how we learn. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be like these religious leaders. Literally, telling Jesus to do the exact opposite of God's plan. God help us. And then we even see in Matthew in verse 44 that the two robbers on either side of him also reviled him. But I want to take a look at something. Flip over with me to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. Oh, listen to that. I like it. Verse 39. Luke 23, starting in verse 39, it gives us a little bit more information about these robbers. These two robbers were hanging on either side of them, and Matthew tells us that, man, at first when they were hung, they're like, look at this guy. What the heck is his problem? What? Why? Probably because everybody else was mocking him, and like, why not just pile on? Isn't that just like humanity? Yeah. Right? What are, we, what are we picketing for? I don't know. <laughs> just, let's, just do it. Verse 39 says this. 
Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him saying, do you not even fear God? Seeing you are under the same condemnation and we indeed justly, for we receive the due rewards for our deeds. In other words, he's like, we, we screwed up. Like we're, we're here for a reason. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. You guys, those are the most amazing words. And that story is one of the most amazing stories because I'm going to read verse 44 in Matthew chapter 27 again. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. You guys, it seems as if if we're going to have a harmony of the gospels, I believe that, that here we are. We have these two guys, they get, they're hanging on either side. They're both mocking him. They're both making fun and something in one of the robbers changes. And he's like, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. And who knows what that was? Did he hear something before about this Jesus guy? Did he hear something from down below that was a little different? What happened? I have no idea what happened, but what we do know is that at some point, one of the robbers was like, no, I changed tack completely. I admit, God, I repent. I'm, I screwed up, God. And isn't that what exactly what salvation is? Is saying, Jesus, I need you. Amen. You are perfect and you died for me and I'm a screw up, yeah. beyond screwed up. And I deserve this death. But I'm falling on my face before you and saying, here, give it. I give it all to you. I, I need you. I can't do this without you. And so I need us to hear something, you guys. Just like this one robber started out reviling and then changed ways. Can I say something to you if you're here today and you're like, yeah, Jesus, I, I screwed up way too much. Jesus can't have me. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. He can have you up until your dying breath. And that's your choice. Can I say something else? Maybe some of you guys here have family members that you've been praying for for years and you're like, oh, Lord. Lord, would you get a hold of this? My cousin's heart, God. Would you get a hold of my brother's heart or my sister's heart, God? Would you get a hold of my parents, God? Would you just get a hold of their heart, Lord, and bring them to a place that they realize that they're not all that in a bag of chips and they need you too? Right? Like maybe that's where you're at today. Can I just encourage you guys that there is never a moment too late for that person until their dying breath. Amen. And I think we're going to get to heaven and there's going to be a lot of people that are like, whoo, I made it on by my skin and my teeth. And guess what? They're still going to be there. Amen. And I praise God for that. But I will say this. Why wait? Yeah. <laughs> why wait? It's never too late, you guys. Don't ever stop praying. Don't ever think that there's a relative that's too far from the Lord. Don't ever think that some crazy heathen that you work with at work is so far gone that God's not gonna come get him. God can come get him. God desires nothing more. It is his will that all would come to him. That's what the Bible tells us. And he gave us this pesky thing called free will. I wish he didn't, but it wouldn't be love if he made us all that way. And I need you to hear this, you guys. And, and, and I say that, I've said this before. Even the most heinous criminal, the most heinous murdering criminal in prison, you guys, is only one breath away from accepting Christ. Yeah. There is not one person on this earth that is too far gone 
that gives me a lot of hope. It also fills me with the desire to tell everybody about Jesus. You guys, you know this. It's not about what we've did. It's about what Jesus did right here, amen? amen. Verse 45. It says, now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed, excuse me, and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. You guys, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour is from noon to 3 p.m. From noon to 3 p.m., it says what? There was darkness over all the land. You guys, it doesn't take modern science to tell us that that wasn't normal, right? It doesn't say it was cloudy. It was dark. It was dark. This wasn't a really bad thunderstorm rolling in, right? This was dark. And it was dark over all the land. It wasn't like it was just over Jesus and the hill of Golgotha. No, it was dark. This is something supernatural, you guys. This was something that was obviously something different. And I want us to hear this. What was the very next thing we hear at the ninth hour? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You guys, we've talked about this. This is the only complaint Jesus gave the entire time. After he had been beaten, spat on, mocked, beaten some more, spat on some more, mocked some more, had crown of thorns shoved on his head, smacked over the head with a reed numerous times, carried a cross, got nailed to the cross, did all those things. We know that the only real words he ever said were, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He never complained, except here, when this sign of darkness was obviously God saying, I cannot watch when sin is poured on you. Mm. What did that all look like? I have no idea. How was God omnipresent and yet turned away? I don't know, you guys. Go read scholarly books and you can read tons of arguments about it. I went too far down that rabbit hole this week. It's not worth it. I have no idea how all that works, you guys, but I know this. I trust God's word. And I know this, that Jesus didn't just say, why have you forsaken me? He is the son of God. He has had connection with God every moment for all eternity, except for this one moment. And I trust my Jesus that he knows what he's talking about. And so when all that sin was poured on him, it was in that moment. And it wasn't even our sin, you guys, that that broke him and broke his heart. It was the fact that he lost connection with the father. This one moment for all of eternity, he spent separated on some level from God the father. And I got a little bit of something to tell us and ask us, you guys. We're okay with missing days and weeks sometimes in his word, don't, aren't we? Oh, you knew I was going to bring it around. Hiya! Man. Jesus couldn't stand a second of separation. We're like, I didn't have time for the word today. Mm. I'm, not, I'm not condemning you, dude. I'm not judging you guys. I need you to hear my heart. But 
I want Jesus' heart. I want to be like, oh God, I need you. I need you. I need you like the air I breathe. God, I can't go without you. Father, I couldn't go a day without water. I mean, I guess physically I could, but I don't, sure don't want to. I want you, God. I want time with you, Jesus. I want to I wanna know you more today than I did yesterday. God, I want to continue to grow with you, God. I can't live without this, God. And I'm going to complain if I have to. Yeah. And again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get down on us as Americans. You guys, we have freedom. I have got, I don't even know. I have Bibles in, in shelves that I haven't read in years. Because why? Because I highlighted the snot out of them and I can't read them anymore. I tore the pages. You guys... I'm not, I've got, we've got Bibles galore yeah. and we don't read them. And there are people in other countries that have one chapter of John hidden well on their phone because if they're caught, they get a bullet in the head and they read that thing like crazy. Yeah. We need a passion for the word. Mm-hmm. We need a passion to spend time with Jesus. Yeah. We need him to do what he says he's going to do, which is transform our lives into closer an image of him. And if his heart is that he's like, oh God, I need you. That should be our heart too. And I'm not talking about whomping it up and being like, oh man, I'm all, woo. No, I'm talking about genuinely coming to God and saying in the quiet time with the Lord, like, oh Lord, give me your heart. Right? Last thing I want to point out is this is the second time we read here in verse 48 that one of them ran up and gave him a sponge full of this sour wine, right? This wine with myrrh in it. And I need us to understand something. He refused it the first time. And the second time, we don't know if he took it to his mouth both times. He was kind of like, what, what are you giving me, right? Because he didn't know. And he, and he, he, but he wouldn't take it. And what was it, you guys? Essentially, think of it. It was like moonshine. This wasn't good wine. This was garbage wine. This was wine that they literally gave you Because it was almost like Rome was showing you a bit of grace and saying, here, get drunk or have a little bit of numbing agent in your body so that it doesn't hurt quite as bad as you die. And Jesus didn't take it. And I need us to hear that. And I don't think he didn't take it because he's like, I don't drink. No, he drank wine in the Last Supper. I'm not talking about that. He didn't take it because he's like, I'm going to take all of this and I want to feel every moment of this. After that, you guys, and what we read in verse 50 is that Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And we read in John 19, 30, for you note takers, that what he said is, it is finished. He said it in Aramaic, to tell us die. It is finished. I'm glad he did that for us. I am so thankful that he walked all the way through it, that he endured every bit of it, that he didn't step back one iota, even though we know that he said, oh God, if there's another way, then please show me. So I don't think he was like he-man, you guys. I think he was just a human and also God who willingly submitted his life to, to God the Father and said, I am yours, God. Your will be done in my life. And I need us to hear that. You guys, sometimes we give up on the, on the things that God's calling us to because we're like, well, I woke up this morning, I have a hangnail. And so uh, I got a lot of them actually. But right, like sometimes isn't it kind of that, I mean, I'm kind of being funny, but it's like, 
man, we back off from what God's calling us to just because it gets a little difficult. And I'm not trying to say be like Jesus in that way where you're like, I'm just going to endure and just suck. No, if God's not calling you to that, then don't. I'm not saying self-care is not good and all that. That's not what I'm getting at. But I am saying this. Can we walk in God's strength a little bit more today than we did yesterday? Can we walk a little bit more in, in the things that God is calling us to and say, God, you know this weak vessel that I am and I need your help because I don't know how I'm going to do this anyway. I'll give you guys heads up, man. This morning I woke up and I wanted to vomit, literally. And I got up and I was brushing my teeth and I'm like, Whoa. right? You guys ever, is that, are you, do I have any sympathy gaggers? <laughs> it, that's where I was this morning. And I'm serious. And I said, I, I went in, I, I went back down and I laid down and I, I'm usually here really early in the morning and I, I wasn't because I'm like, I am so sick. And I really prayed to God. I'm like, God, I don't know what to do here because I know this message and I know the, that I want to, God, you have given me something on my heart that I'm excited to teach, Lord. And I, yeah, that's the way it is every week. But I'm just saying, like, I was like, no way do I want to step back from this. But I'm like, God, tell me what's up. And so I laid back down and I woke up and I was like, I literally prayed to God, like, God, take this away from me that I feel better. And I woke up and I felt worse. And you know what it took for me to feel better? It took me getting in the car gagging a little bit, driving, thinking, okay, where's the pull-off spot if I need to? And on the way here, my stomach started to settle and it started to feel better. Is that how it always works out? No, sometimes I think we puke and keep going. Puke and rally. <laughs> you get my point, you guys? And again, this is not the toot a horn. I could just as easily have been like, no stinking way am I gonna come in. Now everybody in the front row is like, are you sick? Like, what's the deal? And are you going to get me sick? <laughs> I hope I'm not. I don't think I am. <laughs> I feel a lot better. But the point I'm making is, guys, can we step into what God has for us and trust that he's going to walk us through it? Let's pray. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, Come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.